Hi everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Switch Focus podcast. Um, fun fact: it's episode twenty-one, which means that we're now old enough to drink in the United States. Yay! <laughs> um, Andy won't be with us for the next two weeks because he's a little bit tied up with real life stuff, but we promise that our regular programming will follow. So, as per usual, I'm Ginny, fake Andy Wu, and with me today is, as always, Andrew, also not Andy Brown. My uncle calls me Andy. <laughs> now that we've got the welcomes out of the way, let's roll right into updates from last week's episode. So, moving on into updates from last week's episode, I think we were going to revisit Fear, which Andy and Andrew were playing. I haven't played it, so I'll let Andrew take the reins on this one. Well, Andy had described this game as being something along the lines of Journey or Abzu. I cannot disagree more on that point. Uh, Fia looks unique, but it's a 3D platformer, and that's all it is. Uh, You play as this little monkey rabbit creature, and you go out into the world, and you collect tokens that give you new abilities, and you find little animals you have to help, and you learn their songs, and that gives you more new abilities that let you travel further into the forest. Now, that's not to say that it's not interesting, and it doesn't have some cool things about it. Now, uh, the story is told completely without dialogue. It's told completely from the perspective of this little creature, which uh, I, I don't even know what it's called. I don't know what anything in this game is called. I don't even know what Fia refers to, because the game gives you no answers. Uh, you have to comprehend everything that happens in this game from the perspective of this pretty primitive animal. Uh, so when the forest gets invaded by these creatures in mechanical suits that start kidnapping all the animals, you have no idea what's going on, and all clear up to the end of the game after you've resolved the situation, you still have no idea what was actually going on. It's a, So it's a pretty interesting game from that perspective. I think the best thing in it was you come across like the adult version of one of the creatures in the forest, which is this absolutely massive stag. It's bigger than anything you find in Shadow of the Colossus. And you get to climb up to the top of it, and just the music rises as you get closer to the top of it, and you have to jump from tree to tree that is growing out of the sides of this creature as it walks in this big circle around this forest clearing. It's a really cool sequence, I think. If anything with this game is going to stick with me in the long term, it's going to be that. So it's out now on the eShop. I think it's like 1999 US. It was totally worth it just for that sequence alone. I think it's a good game. It's just not... It's not Journey. <laughs> it's not. <laughs> Um, well, I was kind of on the fence about this one, um, but I played a game that's very similar to what you're describing, I think, this week, Toki Tori, which I'll talk about a little bit more later. But I'm guessing if I like that one, I'll probably like Fear. We'll see. Um, moving into games that I think all of us have played, we're going to revisit our topic from last week just a little bit, um, now that we've played a little bit more of the title over the past week, and that's Bayonetta and Bayonetta 2. So we'll probably just wrap up Bayonetta 1 first, because I don't think we have too much to say upon it, um, to say about the game. Um, how did you feel about Bayonetta 1, Andrew? Well, I replayed it after a recording last week's episode. Uh-huh. 
and uh, I, I blew through it on Sunday, and then we had a snow day during the week, so I, I finished it that day. I don't like the first Bayonetta. I don't think it's a very good game. <laughs> uh, I, <laughs> I, I love the Bayonetta character. I love the combat in the game, but there's just there's not enough of either. Every, it's completely drowned out by everything else that's going on in the game with these characters who contribute nothing to the story with a story that makes no sense whatsoever and just all these platforming sequences and these empty hallways that happen that completely overwhelm all the combat like i'm really hoping that bayonetta 2 which i'm going to start probably after this recording uh answers a lot of my complaints i hope it's better paced uh i hope the story actually makes sense this time (laughs) or if it doesn't make sense it doesn't have five and ten minute long cutscenes, but it's just nothing but exposition that doesn't make any sense. But this is my second time playing Bayonetta. I don't remember being this frustrated with it the first time I played it, but I did not care for it on my revisit. I'm I'm very disappointed. No worries. I think you're lucky Andy's not here this week to hear that because he was very passionate about both Bayonetta 1 and 2 being, I think, was it top 10 of all time yeah. for games for him? So, um, yeah, luckily Andy's not here to listen to that. Um, but luckily I have, um, I have the middle ground here in the conversation when it comes to Bayonetta 1, I think, between the two of you. I don't hate it, I don't dislike it, but I can definitely see that Bayonetta 2 addresses a lot more of the flaws that people like you, Andrew, have been so talking about on Twitter. So I know people were saying that um, the combat actually kind of feels a little bit too unforgiving in one compared to two. Um, and also that the colors palette and the color scheme in one is kind of woefully inadequate compared to how everything sort of visually pops in Bayonetta 2. It doesn't look, um, it's not a very nice game to look at, really. <laughs> yeah, lots of browns and yeah. reds and more browns you can you can definitely um, tell it came out in the middle of the realist brown era <laughs> of video games yeah um um as someone who has spent most of my week playing two unlike one um i definitely think that there is a noticeable difference between the titles as a positive difference um i think combat feels more fluid um almost to the point where there's a noticeable difficulty difference mainly because I think that the increased fluidity leads to increased mobility, which then translates to more witch time, which then translates to more Umbran climax time, which then translates to you wailing on the bosses more often. So um, I think 2 definitely feels like the polished packaged version of 1. There are still a lot of mid-battle cutscenes for special moves, so if you didn't like that in 1, they're still there, just as a warning. Um, But there's definitely a much bigger visual contrast um, a good mix of modern set pieces like sort of New York City, San Fran, that kind of like American generic city scape, I guess. Um, the use of in-between realms and visiting both hell and heaven. Um, and good news, people like Andrew, pretty much zero platforming. Thank God. Just, just, just none of it. Just like, just none. Like maybe I, I, maybe I leapt up a series of ledges maybe four times maximum in like nine chapters of the game. So yeah. Almost no platforming. Um, it really kind of feels a lot more like a long series of fights chained together in just a variety of different set pieces. And there are cutscenes that tell you more about the story, but the cutscenes are not in any way, I think, obtuse. The minute they start, you kind of know where it's going. The story is not unpredictable. But I think that's a good thing after how esoteric one felt. 
So, in my opinion, if you have played one and struggled a bit with either getting into it or just felt like it wasn't really doing enough, it wasn't really the bayonetta people have hyped it up to be, then I think two will answer pretty much all of your questions. So hopefully you enjoy two this week, Andrew. Well, I'm looking forward to it now. <laughs> and I'm going to be awesome. I'm gonna be very cross with you next week if you just lied to me just now. Oh, we'll see. <laughs> no forgiveness, Ginny. No forgiveness. No forgiveness. Everything goes down the toilet when Andy's not here. Um, alrighty, so now that we've recapped uh, what we've played from last week... Let's move into the latest Switch news. So this week in the latest Switch news, it looks like people are excited about motion aiming coming to Doom. So I didn't get Doom on the Switch, um, as all the listeners will know by now, but I know that Andrew and Andy did. So do you care? Does it improve anything? What are your thoughts? I was surprised it wasn't in the game to begin with. Uh, there was mm-hmm. some motion in the game. You could use it to activate uh, glory kills. And I did try to play the game with that activated, but uh, it was not responsive enough for me. It didn't feel real great to me. So I, I made it through about half of the first level with that motion activated on it, and then I turned it off. Uh, oh. <laughs> but... <laughs> I, cool. Yeah, but uh, I, I've described in the past how I have struggled to play Doom and really other games like Doom on the Joy-Cons because I, I just can't get the the right control stick to move just with those little sensitive, subtle movements you need to make to really play a first-person shooter well. Yeah. Yeah, so mm-hmm. I, I would hope that the gyro aiming being added to Doom would... Uh, help to compensate for that where it might be a little ridiculous with me going all over the place with the controller in front of me but uh, better than trying to inch it to the right and all of a sudden I'm looking 90 degrees to the right which doesn't work for a game like this so uh, I I might revisit Doom I might not but it's good that it's there if you're a big fan of the game it gives you another way to play it and I think people really need to give motion aiming more of a chance than I think they've tended to give it in the past because it does work really well if the developer implements it well as Resident Evil Revelations has shown. Cool. There you go. If you have Doom, try out the motion controls and let us know whether or not you like them. Um, on a similar note, well, I was talking about another shooter here, Payday 2 for the Switch is pretty much out and there's been a bit of buzz around it but what we thought we'd sort of segment in our news section is the fact that payday 2 on the switch is releasing with content that is basically patches behind the stuff available on other platforms so they said that they will support the game in the future maybe include these patches in the future but on launch day to have pretty much not all the content available there and minus all the qol improvements um not a great start, I, I guess. I mean, uh, I already have Payday on the PC. And so to hear that it's not going to be updated or up to date for the Switch version, that makes me personally unlikely, I think, to drop my money on it. Be- even though it goes against my usual philosophy of pretty much every game being better on the Switch. 
Um, the thing that the fact that there's versions behind and missing QL patches from what I'm used to are a little bit off-putting. Um, how do you feel about this one, Andrew? Because I know you haven't played Payday 2 yet and you were thinking of getting it. Does this at all affect your stance on the game? Were you going to buy it at release anyway or not? I was pretty happy to skip Payday 2, actually. I've been planning to skip it since I've been making plans for what I was going to get this year. And then the reviews started coming out, and I, I just, out of curiosity, started reading the reviews, and I liked what I was reading, actually. Uh, <laughs> maybe I shouldn't tell this part of it because it just overcomplicates things, but I it turns out I actually do own Payday 2 on Steam, and I never knew that. Oh. <laughs> I, I, must <laughs> picked, I must have picked it up in a free giveaway at some point and just never bothered playing it. Mm. Uh, but then I come to find out that... Uh, it doesn't actually run on the operating system that I use on my computer, which if you want to talk to me on Twitter about why I have a Mac and not a Windows, I'm happy to talk to you about it, but I'm not going to get into it here. Uh, but I'm all interested in playing it now. <laughs> so I'm, I'm definitely going to pick it up on Switch at some point, because as somebody who's never played Payday 2 mm. on PS4 or Xbox One or on PC, I wouldn't know the difference to begin with, that these features are apparently missing. And I, yeah. I was disappointed at first when I heard that there was content missing, uh, the equivalent of several months of patches, it sounds like, maybe even up to a year of content's mm -hmm. not there. But then I started reading about what is there. There's 50 missions on included with it. The rest of them are going to come later. Uh, there's all kinds, a whole mess of unlocks and perks and everything. I, I knew that Payday was made by former Left 4 Dead developers, so I thought it was just going to be Left 4 Dead where there's like maybe eight campaigns included in total and that's the entire game and that's all there is to it i'm actually kind of surprised to hear of all the things that are in it and i'm, I'm much more interested in owning it now but having said that uh i still am gonna wait for it to go on sale because i had the orange box on xbox 360 and team mm -hmm. fortress 2 was supposed to get great support for it and Left 4 Dead on Xbox 360 was supposed to get all the PC support, and Valve did not follow through. I think the last yeah. I think the last time Team Fortress 2 got an update on console was in 2009. <laughs> it, uh, like, wow. Yeah. If you go back and you play Team Fortress 2, which I think is still they still have servers running for it on Xbox 360, it's like going back in time and playing a completely different <laughs> game because it does oh not resemble the current Team Fortress 2 remotely. Uh, so I guess there is, uh, something positive to say <laughs> about that, but Payday 2, the people who made it, it's not Valve, it's a different company, but I'm predicting it's not going to sell well on Switch. Uh, mm. I, I think that the company's going to look at that and they're going to be unmotivated from supporting it in the long term. Uh, and I don't like playing multiplayer online anyway, so I would probably play it mostly solo. So, yeah, I, I'm definitely waiting for it to go on sale before I pick it up in case I'm disappointed in it. But I, yeah. I am definitely interested in Payday 2, and Andy and I have talked about this behind the scenes, and we both are of similar minds about this. He wants to get it when it's on sale, too. Yeah, I think if you haven't played it, like if you're in Andrew's position, then you could probably feasibly get it and enjoy the Switch version because you really wouldn't know what you're missing out on anyway. Um, but I kind of feel like the aiming and shooting aspect just doesn't feel as good with the analog sticks and handheld, uh, which is obviously mitigated if you play it docked and you play the pro controller or something. As but I would do. 
as yeah but i mean if if you're someone that likes to play exclusively handheld maybe or you're really keen on playing through the single player campaign um i i reckon check all the reviews you can out there just for a better idea of what the game is like um but yeah i mean i think as long as there's an online community the game should do well because its whole premise is that it's like a multiplayer heist game but without that functionality or without Nintendo supporting 100% or the developer supporting 100%, I think, as Andrew said, it'll be quite hard to see it keeping a long-lasting foothold in the market. Now, one thing I've been reading in the reviews, uh, and this was uh, also an issue when Splatoon came out, was voice chat or the lack thereof. Now, uh, the developers have mentioned that they want to get Nintendo app voice chat support going with uh, Payday 2. Uh, now, the Nintendo app debuted alongside Splatoon 2 and has had basically no updates since. Uh, I, I don't even know anybody who actually uses it. Uh, so uh, what do you think? Is uh, voice chat, would that kill your interest in it for you or or not? Um, I probably wouldn't play with voice chat anyway um mm-hmm. i mean i found in splatoon it's basically non-essential um you've got like two buttons to use booyah on the way like th- that's fine yeah. um and i've also read quite a few reviews where they've said that the the ui and the hard display and stuff made it really quite clear where your teammates are at all times and what their status is so it mm-hmm. may very well be non-essential to have voice chat but i mean I guess in this day and age, would voice chat sell me on it or deter me? It wouldn't make a huge difference. Yeah, it makes no difference to me either. Like, There are people out there who talk about this, how voice chat being included is good for uh, accessibility reasons. Where like it being turned on by default is good for people who might need the extra communication to contribute. But I... I, I I played Overwatch on PlayStation 4. I played a lot of Overwatch on PlayStation 4. I couldn't... Hundreds and hundreds of hours. And I can remember the times that I actually heard another person speaking over the voice chat less than a dozen times in every game that (laughs) I played. So we have voice chat on all these consoles, and everybody talks about, oh, it's a standard. It's pathetic that Nintendo doesn't have it. Maybe it is. I don't ever see anybody using it. So I don't understand why it's a big issue that Nintendo has decided not to deal with having this system that nobody uses. When they do use it, they only use it for abusing other players. So they've cut out the need, the expense of having this system that is underused. And they've also cut out the expense of having to moderate it because when it is used, all it's used for is abuse. I think Nintendo's made a very smart decision not to have it integrated. I mean, and if you need voice chat, for your group, Discord. We have a Discord for Switch Focus podcast. You are welcome to use it when you're playing Switch games. There's a link in our show notes. Nintendo does yeah. not need voice chat, and I have no sympathy for the argument that they should. Yeah, I agree with Andrew as well, um, especially having been on the receiving end of a lot of abuse over voice chat when I'm playing Overwatch. Um, and I mean, especially considering Splatoon... Um, which is, I think, currently probably the leading multiplayer, online multiplayer title for Nintendo. The fact that a lot of kids play it, um, and knowing what people say on the internet over voice chat and what has been said to me in the past, I think it's appropriate that we don't have it available to us, actually, because um, 
I don't think, like Andrew said, I don't think it's necessary. I don't think you need it in games like Splatoon. You probably don't need it in a game like Payday. And it's clear that developers have gone out of their way to do things like change the UI or improve the the display so that all the cues that you need are within the game and not reliant on voice chat. And I mean, if the Nintendo app, as Andrew said, hasn't been updated in forever, functionality is really lacking. There are just so many other better voice chat options out there. So yeah, for me, voice chat, I don't really care if Nintendo makes it available or not. I think it's great that they don't have it. In other Nintendo-related news, um, you may be happy, or you may not even care, that the Nintendo website now allows users to leave reviews on some of their video games. Um, So what that looks like is it looks like you can leave reviews instead of Nintendo titles, um, and you can tag these reviews um, with the kind of gamer that you think you are, out of options like casual, Nintendo fan, parent, etc., um, which is probably going to be used to implement like a filter for reviews or titles on the shop. Um, it seems like a really basic function, but I think it's a good thing. Um, anything that makes Nintendo's online store interface more streamlined and more usable is good. And I think it's kind of hard enough to find games in certain categories and having these extra filters will help. But other than that, I mean, the shop should have the feature a long time ago, in my <laughs> opinion. What do you think, Andrew? Um... I have a complicated relationship with user reviews. Uh, just just look at what has happened to Steam, where there's entire communities built around just leaving joke reviews on video games. But Nintendo has a reputation of actually moderating and policing their forums. So I think this could actually be uh, really good and valuable, because the people who are going to leave thoughtful, detailed reviews that don't complain about things that don't actually exist in reality uh won't be disproportionately representative on there you, you, i think you could actually use this and get a fair idea of what the average person really thinks about nintendo's games yeah sounds like a good thing hopefully they open it up to more than just a few titles i think it'll be really good to have opportunity to have reviews for all of the smaller indie games up on the shop as well just to get them you know more coverage more attention um, but yeah, it's a start. Let's see where it goes. And uh, last but not least, we're just going to do a really quick rundown of the DICE Awards that went down last week, I believe, or um, the end of this week. So those are, the, those are the Design, Innovation, Communication, and Entertainment Awards. And a couple of our switch Focus fan favorites have scooped some awards. So Mario and Rabbit's Kingdom Battle, they won the Strategy and Simulation Game of the Year. Mario Kart 8 Deluxe wins the Racing Game of the Year. Super Mario Odyssey won Outstanding Achievement in Sound Design. Snipperclips won the Dice Sprite Award and Family Game of the Year. And for those not in the know, the Sprite Award is given to games that don't have a lot of exposure or resources compared to AAA titles, um, but still provide innovative gameplay and experiences to people in the industry. Um, And last but not least... Um, the Legend of Zelda, da da da, yeah, um, <laughs> won multiple awards. Won Adventure Game of the Year, Outstanding Achievement in Game Direction, Outstanding Achievement in Game Design, and Overall Game of the Year. Woo! Yeah. <laughs> Do we have any further thoughts, or should I just like? <laughs> Let's just end this with a Prince Sidon thumbs up. Yes, yes. I agree. Oh. That is one. <laughs> that is one swell shark, by the way. Play Breath of the Wild already. Okay, it's won all these awards from so many different venues and outlets. 
play Breath of the Wild. If you haven't already, come on, man. We sell this, we show this game every week on the podcast. <laughs> now, moving into this week's new releases, um, there are quite a few, but we seem to have picked the more esoteric of the bunch to play. So... <laughs> <laughs> Um, we played some of- dumb games this week. <laughs> yeah, it was it was real interesting, let me tell you. Um, first of all, the non-controversial vanilla pick, um, Luigi's Balloon World, was the Super Mario DLC that came out um, later this week. And it basically adds like an online multiplayer mode, and there's like an online leaderboard like with Toad Racing. Um, and you basically either have to hide a balloon in the world for other people to find, or find balloons that people have hidden. Um, apparently it's a great way to farm coins if you want to buy the skeleton suit and if you don't it's just a funny way to interact with luigi and bully him as mario so um if that's your thing then check it out but i mean i'm just happy that it's still being the game's still being updated and people seem to be enjoying the patches so hey can't complain what about you andrew you played it i i have not and given my lukewarm feelings to super mario odyssey i probably won't ever but as I predicted when this was announced in the last Nintendo Direct, uh, people have already started putting balloons out there that you already have to know every glitch in the game to re- to even reach them. Uh, so uh, I, I'm a little disappointed that it's not something you can just sit down and do. Like I think it's very quickly going to reach the point where you have to be a challenge gamer to even play this mode. Mm. oh well a bit of a shame but we'll see where it goes with the multiplayer fun and the leaderboards um now we'll move right into what andrew has played this week first i think i think we'll work up to the weird stuff towards the end so andrew you played old man's journey and puzzle puppers so take it away well i'll start with puzzle puppers because uh uh it it would be much easier to talk about this one (laughs) uh this this is a puzzle game. It's five bucks on the eShop, which is why I, I picked it up. Uh, it's a line drawing puzzle game where you have a game field, a predefined game space where you have to draw a line from a beginning point to an end point, passing through different obstacles along the way. And on the harder puzzles, there's actually more than one line you have to draw between two end points and the lines can intersect. So that makes things a lot more tricky. Uh, and then there's complications added into it like uh conveyor belts which force the line to certain points on the map and also wormholes which do the same thing but can work in either direction uh the smartest puzzles uh will use the conveyor belts uh in intelligent ways uh if you intersect a line with the conveyor belt halfway along its point then that will actually create a new dead end on the conveyor belt so you can put a second line on that conveyor belt it'll stop where the first line ends then you can retract that first line and you've magically created a line that can ignore the rules of the conveyor belt the smartest puzzles do that a lot unfortunately there's not that many of them uh there's only 80 puzzles total in the entire game and uh, maybe that sounds like a lot to you but when i say only the first hour video i put up on our youtube page i got through 40 of the puzzles on it Wow. Yeah, and the levels aren't arranged in any particular scale of difficulty. Like, there were some in, like, the first 30 puzzles that kept me stuck for a few minutes, and then, like, 20 in the back half that I just blew right through 
without even having to think about what I was doing. But the last five or so puzzles are pretty tricky. Uh, but it's only five bucks, and it's got a Shiba Inu like aesthetic overlaid on top of it that actually has nothing to do with what you're doing in the game. But like, if you want to just see expanding and retracting dogs and guide them towards <laughs> food bowls and uh, pick up slabs of meat along the way, then I think you might enjoy Puzzle Puppers just for the cute factor. But as a puzzle game, it's there's no challenge. Fair enough. Yeah. Sounds adorable. Um, I am into expanding and retracting dogs in any situation. Um, so yeah, maybe if I if it's on sale or at a later, I might pick it up. Um, apart from that, I know you also picked up Old Man Journey, which is a, a world apart from Puzzle Puppers. Um, tell me a little bit more about that one. Old Man's Journey took me by surprise. It's not what I expected it to be. I thought it would be a narrative adventure game. You know, lots of dialogue, lots of story, lots of talking. It's actually almost completely the opposite of that. It's a very minimalist story. There's no dialogue at all in this entire game. Everything, there is a story, but it's all told through these vignettes as you guide the old man along on his journey to his destination. Uh, He'll stop at benches along the way and he'll see something in the environment that will remind him of something of his past. And he just has this little image that takes up the entire screen and it just is a still, almost still image. It's very lightly animated and it'll just tell a little piece of this man's story. And he has a lot of regret in his life. And uh, that's why he's going on this journey is to kind of make up for some of the mistakes he's made in the past. And I think the story's a little sentimental. Uh, I, I don't mm-hmm. think that he would be as easily forgiven as he appears to be at the end of this story. But I will say uh, I, I got a little misty when I got to the ending because it, it's pretty heartbreaking. Have you seen Up? Yeah, I've seen Up. It's the first 10 minutes of Up made into a video game. No! <laughs> oh my god! Yeah. But it, it's also a puzzle game uh, where you're guiding the old man through the hills of, I, I think it's France. I saw some writing that looked French to me, so I, I'm pretty sure this game takes place in France. And... He lives in this house by the sea, and he gets a letter one day, and he sets off on this journey, and you don't find out where he's going until the very end. Uh, And you have to guide him through the hills. And this is where the game gets interesting, because you actually raise and lower the hills, and where the hills intersect, he can actually walk between them. And they actually do a lot of interesting puzzles with this one, because sometimes to reach the next part of the screen, you actually have to raise a hill up to a certain point. Uh, have the old man stand there at the top, lower that hill back down, and then lower another piece back up so that way he can actually move across that. It's basically a a much more abstract bridge-connecting puzzle game, and that's that's really the entire thing. That's all you do through okay. the whole game. And it, I finished the game in an hour and a half. It's not that long. Ooh. Yeah. Uh, it, it wants to tell a very simple story. It wants to have very simple puzzles. It does both of those things very well. Uh, it's got a really nice painterly uh graphical style I, I i hesitate to say what kind of paint style it is because i would probably be wrong but it's very attractive looking <laughs> um I, I read a bunch of uh storybooks when i was a child by an author named maurice sendak who has a very distinctive uh illustrative style in all of his books the the graphics in this reminded me a lot of 
the stuff that Maurice Sendak would have in his books. Uh, and also the music is fantastic. Uh, <laughs> I, we normally put up a first hour of the games that I play, uh, but this game was so short, I just put up the whole thing. It should be up on the YouTube page by before you're listening to this episode. So if it sounds at all like anything you're interested in and you just want to watch part of it, or even if you just want to watch it instead of paying 10 bucks to play an hour and a half game, the whole thing is going to be up on our YouTube page. All right. Um, sounds like that was appropriately heartbreaking and meaningful and deep. Um, and now we'll move on to my selections for the week, which are pretty much anything but. Um so first of all, I play Toki Tori 2 Plus, which I mentioned a little bit earlier in the episode, um, as basically being, I'm not going to say thematically similar, but mechanically similar um, to Fear. So basically, Toki Tori 2 Plus is about chickens. Um, if you don't like chickens, do not get this game. It is literally just 100% chickens. I love chickens for dinner. Great. For dinner. <laughs> Oh, okay. Well, maybe you might get some sick joy out of what happens to the chickens in this game. But basically, you play as a baby chicken, like a tiny singing chick. And your job is to find sparkly pieces to unlock different doors and worlds. As to why we do this, I still don't know. Um, the story is very sparsely sort of fed to you, and there's no dialogue. There's pretty much zero text. You just kind of wander around as a, as a baby chicken. Um... I guess there's something in the plot about pollution being bad and awful, but I don't know where it comes from or why. Um, and basically, you have to navigate the various dangers in the world through a mix of coercing other animals to help you by singing at them, or by stomping on the ground to frighten them, and like they help you move the terrain around and do other stuff like that. So it's an incredibly minimalistic puzzle game. You are really untold anything at all. So the game drops you in, the game's like, all right, press A to sing and press B to stomp and you just do it. That's it. Um, there are certain singing patterns that you can do, like you can sort of chirp two short notes and two long notes and that will do something in the game. Um, and other sequences do other things. So like you can chirp in a certain way to activate photo mode um, to give yourself like a restart. So you reset back to your last checkpoint um, and to do a bunch of other stuff like that. So, um, but that's all learned. You have to figure that out. The game's not like, here, do this right now and this thing will happen. You kind of learn it all organically. Or if you're me, you learn it by just pressing every single button a million times in different combinations and having the game go, oh, look, achievement, you did this. Um, so depending on your learning style and your, your I guess, the kind of game that you enjoy to play, Tokitori could either be incredibly relaxing or incredibly frustrating. Um... Puzzles take quite a while before they become properly absorbing or difficult, even when they span multiple screens. Everything's super, super adorable, but finding something adorable really only goes so far. I know it's ironic I say that, given the fact that I just said that I play anything with extended dogs in it. Um, <laughs> but there is basically no sense of urgency, or I don't feel a need to progress any further into its reasonably sparse story, because there's basically zero direction. You could go in any direction on the on the game's hub world and go to any map and it wouldn't make a discernible difference to the story, I think. I went back and forth, left and right, up and down to the map in different areas and didn't really feel like I was learning anything. So I felt, I didn't feel very motivated to keep going. Um, I think for those who are younger, 
um, the slower pace of the game might fit, and obviously the cute graphics and all that probably make it a little bit more child-friendly than other puzzle platformers out there. Um, or maybe you just want to play a chilled-out game in your downtime, this could be it. But if you're looking for something that has a story and looking for a game that will grab you, like really, really grab you, this is not it. Um, but it's priced reasonably well. Um, it has its charm. So like Fia, basically you sing to nature and the world responds and changes around you. So it's got that going for it. And I love me a good, you know, non-combat game. So it's got its pluses, but as whether or not I'm going to keep this game around for much longer, I don't know. Um, but the, the real firecracker this episode, I think, in terms of games, is the one that I picked up called Ace of Seafood. Um, so if you don't know what Ace of Seafood is, um, let me explain this to you. Please do. And the, the only way I think I know how. So, um, okay. So Andrew, do you like crabs? No. Do you like barracudas? Absolutely not. Have you ever gone to an aquarium and gone, you know what? I really wish these sharks had lasers. Frickin' sharks with frickin' laser beams? Yes. Okay, great. If so, then this, this is the game for you. Basically, humanity's gone completely extinct for some awful reason. We probably had nuclear war and all died. But for sea-dwelling seafood creatures, the world is basically their oyster. So in Ace of Seafood, you are, I guess, ostensibly another sea animal. Um, and you breed up other sea creatures to kill other sea creatures for dominance in the ocean. Um, and you can also level up and breed submarines. Don't ask me how. It's, it's nonsensical. No, no, I've done that. But basically... <laughs> You kill enemies, collect their materials, and use those materials, like their DNA, to clone them and pull them into your crustacean-slash-fish army. <laughs> yeah, um, this is the only situation where I'd recommend bringing, bringing a shark to a lobster party. Um, you know, perhaps even preferable in that case. Think of each type of seafood as like a submarine or like a battleship class. Um, they each have their weaknesses, and your job is to blow every kind of seafood out of the water and to smithereens. Um, if it sounds messy, that's because it is messy, and it's also visually messy. Like, there's like 10 different things to track as you play. There's maps, aiming interfaces, health bars, enemy nameplates, enemy health bars, your location, tracking radars, homing missile panels. The game is a visual mess. Um, after about six hours, I got really motion sick. All of a sudden, I just had to put it down. I just couldn't play it. But then I came home a little bit drunk after a party last night. I had a really good time playing the rest of it. So, and it's twelve dollars. So I think you're kind of getting your money's worth entertainment-wise. But if you care about a story, you care about good localization, you care about the reasons for things happening, you care about graphics, you care about graphical user interfaces making sense and HUDs making sense. This is not the game for you. <laughs> Oh. But if you want a game to go to your mates and be like, check this out, you won't believe what I've played, then Ace of Seafood is definitely for you. It handles reasonably well. Um, I think apart from the camera swinging wildly sometimes during fish-on-fish combat. Um, but I think the aiming reticles are quite forgiving. It is a shooting game, but not quite in the way that Payday is a shooting game. So if you are going to play it strictly on handheld, it won't be a problem for you. I think it's it's fun in its sheer absurdity. So uh, I recommend it if you've got 12 bucks to spare and you've got some time to kill. There is probably not a more chaotic or fun way to spend a couple of hours. So yeah, this gets my vote. I like it. Pick it up. Ace of Seafood. The screenshots I saw of it made it kind of look like Star Fox 64. Is that a fair comparison? 
Um, kind of, I guess. It is literally 99.9% lasers. Okay. So it, it will feel that way, but I think the visual clutter is a bit more pronounced in this game than in Star Fox 64. Okay, but it is like a, a behind-the-view thing, and yeah. you're going yeah, forward yeah, yeah. through a it 3D is. space. It's not like a top-down shooter. No, 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 okay. it's not top-down at all. Okay. Because yeah. uh, this reminded me of a, a game I played on PSN called Chuchimi, which is also complete nonsense, but it's a side-scrolling shooter. <laughs> but I guess that's a bad comparison. Yeah, uh, if this interests you, um, if anything this week interested you, please check it out. Um, I hope more of you guys play Ace of Seafood because I really want someone to talk to about this game. I feel like it's an experience in itself. So if you pick up Ace of Seafood, please let us know by giving us a mention on Twitter or dropping into our Discord channel to discuss it. We'd love to hear from you guys. Um, And that seems to be it for our episode this week. Um, you can send any questions or responses you've got about what we played or what we said to our Twitter feed um, at SwitchFocusPod, our Facebook account, or via our website and its handy contact form. So, uh, as Andy is not here, what are you and I going to play this week, Andrew? Uh, coming out this week uh, is Portal Bridge Constructor. So, Oh, nice. Yeah. And uh, Mulaka is coming out too, which is one I've had my eye on since it was announced in the big Nindy Direct last year. I think it actually might be one of the last games that was announced in that, which is yet to be released. Uh, And also, of course, I'm finally going to sit down and play Bayonetta 2, and I really hope I have a good time with it. Although that (laughs) annoying, no-nothing, waste-of-space Luka is back, so I don't know. Maybe uh, uh, I might be prejudiced against it just for that reason alone. Oh my gosh. Um, well, Luca is not a huge part of Bayonetta 2. Good. So hopefully you'll still enjoy it. Do, does he um, actually do journalism this time, or is it just... Uh, he takes photos? Gosh. Kind of? Investigates stuff? That's kind of journalism, If his right? occupation is stalking Bayonetta, <laughs> just say it. <laughs> she, she, can, she can handle him. She definitely... Um, makes it makes her lack of interest very clear. I think the band too. <laughs> Good. So um, she's got that going for her. Um, as opposed to what I'll be playing this week, I am still chipping away at Lost Fear. I got so wrapped up playing this game where I shoot laser beams out of fish mouths and eyes and stuff. So I'm gonna bring myself back down to reality by finishing, hopefully, fingers crossed, Lost Fear this week, so I can finally join the discussion that Andy's been having on Twitter about the ending. Um, and apart from that, I will probably play a little bit more of Toki Tori 2 if I'm absolutely pressed. Um, while I didn't give it a rave review on the podcast, it is still really cute. And I think a little break from it will help me feel more refreshed going into it. Um, but yep, I think that'll be it for me for this coming week because Lost Fear is quite the hefty one. Um, so I'll update you. I, w- I will update everyone next week on how I go. Hopefully I'm done with it and I can wash my hands of it. And maybe if we're lucky, we'll have Andy back. Thanks for listening to this episode of Switch Focus Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review on iTunes. It really helps us get noticed. You can also listen and subscribe on Stitcher, TuneIn, and other podcast services. Why not also check out our YouTube channel where we regularly upload the first hour of many of the games we play. And Andrew, which is me is uh, streaming most of the games we talk about on the show, and you can watch me at twitch.tv slash playcritically. 
You can follow us on Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, and at switchfocuspodcast.com for updates, news, and other content. If you'd like to support the show, you can buy us a coffee. Details are on our website. Thank you for your support, and thank you for listening. If you want to follow us individually, Andy is at Flame Roast Toast, and he should be back in a couple weeks while he tends to some pressing business he has to take care of. Ginny is at Ginny Woes, and I am at Play Critically. Mm-hmm.